try to kill us, but my village too strong. Long live the people. Here we go again with the bullshit you want. Long live the people. We have all these mixed blood people all across the country. We cannot exclude them. There's nothing wrong with being Red River Metis. We are all Metis. There was an attempt to define Metis. And we said no. There's Métis from Red River. What's wrong with Métis from someplace else? And they were also Métis people. Uniting our people is at a very sad state. We are all Métis. Welcome to The Jig Is Up. My name is Darcy, and with me as always is Jason. Hey, how's it going, buddy? Good. How are you hanging out tonight? I'm doing great. I'm in the beautiful city of Fort McMurray once again, and uh, it's just a joy to be doing the podcast from a hotel room. <laughs> Living the high life up north. <laughs> oh, you bet. Nothing but the most uh, you know beautiful places for me to travel. Fort St. John, British Columbia, and Fort McMurray, Alberta. Nice. Absolutely. So I wanted to start the show off today, and I want to recognize that uh, today, is, or I guess tomorrow... Uh, December 13th, is officially Acadian Remembrance Day, which uh, was chosen, December 13th was chosen to commemorate the sinking of the Duke William and the nearly 2,000 Acadians that died uh, on the North Atlantic from hunger, disease, and drowning. So I wanted to send a shout out to all those Acadians out there. As of tomorrow, it will be uh, Acadian Remembrance Day. So let's all remember those Acadians. That's right. A somber moment, but but uh, I think well-deserving and something that uh, every uh, Acadian Métis person should be proud of. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, the Great Expulsion was heralded. But I, I've read and some people uh, call it the first real act of genocide on uh, what is now Canadian soil. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> we have that bit of history. woo <laughs> Well, it just shows that Métis people right from coast to coast have suffered and been marginalized and i think the, this is a you know a somber moment for to remember that uh, our eastern metis kin uh are haven't been immune from that that colonial effects absolutely absolutely and then uh on an, on another note i guess happier note uh we as a podcast are officially a year old so congratulations jason woohoo a whole year man imagine that I know, I thought after about five episodes, I was like, what are we going to talk about? But uh, we're still here, and we're still talking, and maybe we're repeating ourselves now. I don't know, but we're still going strong. I know. Sure, it's sure been a busy year. I, I thought the same thing. You know, what would we talk about for a few episodes? But as far as Métis issues go, uh, we've hardly been able to keep up, I feel. I, you know, honestly, that's how I feel. I've, every Every week I sit down and I think, okay, let's have a look at some of the news articles and stuff, and I get... I, I look at two articles, I'm like, well, there's the whole show. <laughs> so there's actually been a lot of stuff that we just haven't covered because we haven't uh, been able to get to it. Yeah, that, and that's how I feel. There's so many other topics and, and things that have come up that we just simply haven't had time to cover. You know, almost need to uh, create a couple clones to do more shows. <laughs> Absolutely. And I want to say thank you to everybody that's listened because we have over 13,000 downloads. Um, so that's amazing. Uh, again, when wow, I when we started 13, this, wow, well, oh. that's amazing. That is that's that's a big number. I had, uh, you know, I'm actually a little bit uh, gobsmacked there that that there's that many people who uh, tune in, and we really appreciate that. Yeah, honestly, I thought we'd get uh, you know, maybe twenty, thirty downloads an episode, 
and uh, we're we're hitting some very high numbers as of late. So it's this show is for everybody out there to start conversations. It's out there for people to listen to and, and kind of get a different perspective and hopefully uh, not not necessarily change your opinion, but give you some some talking points or give you some ideas to talk about. And uh, so I, I hope it's doing that. I hope it's accomplishing that. Um, yeah, we're 13,000 downloads. That's amazing. Yeah, that is astounding. And uh, thanks to everybody who's listening. Keep on listening, and we hope you uh, stay tuned throughout the next year. Yeah, we're uh, we're work we're already working on next year's show. I don't know if anybody saw, but we we put out a call to Métis University students or college students or, or you know people going to post secondary to uh, you know email us at Métispodcast at gmail dot com. Send us a tweet. Uh, send us a message on Facebook to just let us know some of the challenges you face as Métis people trying to navigate the way your way through the uh, schooling system the education system in this um, colonial world and uh, the response has been amazing i've gotten a lot of emails and and messages and uh, keep them coming we uh, we're gonna we're planning a show in january and i'm hoping to have about three or four metis students obviously from the calgary area because that's where i'm at and uh, but we're gonna have kind of a panel discussion, and I'm gonna talk about all these points that are brought up in the emails and the messages. Try to group them together and just ask the panel about questions about about those issues. So stay tuned for that. I think it's very exciting. And we got a whole bunch of other stuff planned that's gonna be coming out next in maybe next month. So should be good. Ooh, always busy. Never never a dull moment around our our house. Eh? No, absolutely not. So now. Now let's just jump right into the show because uh, you, Jason, had quite the day on Facebook. So I guess I'm going to just throw it over to you and ask you, Jason, what have you done for the Métis Nation? <laughs> what have I done? Well, I don't know uh, who was kicking around on social media in the, the last 24 hours, but the Métis National Council convened a special meeting uh, for discussion with the federal government, I guess, along the whole lines of reconciliation and more further dialogue. And uh, there was ministers from all the uh, cartel affiliates at this meeting, and I posted a, a couple pictures both on Twitter and Facebook about the, the extravaganza that they uh, had going on there. And uh, it created quite a stir. I mean, if you uh, if you can get on social media and check out our Facebook uh, page, you'll see the photo there, and you'll uh, can count the number of people in that room and uh, see the number of paid paid individuals who were there to attend. And I guess what really caused a stir on social media was I brought up brought up the fact that if you're looking at the amount of money spent on this special meeting compared to, you know, as Darcy can attest to. You know, we've personally visited people living in shacks on uh, roadside allowances, um, and a shack would be a polite way to put it, um, who have nothing and less than nothing. And we're spending, you know, millions of dollars. And this year we heard that the Métis National Council's budget for, I believe it was for transportation, hospitality, um, buildings and such was about $1.7 million just at the MNC level, so... Yeah, that's absolutely astounding. I can't even, uh, I, I, you know, I, I always think about what $1.7 million would mean to, you know, the people living in Conklin and these, you know, black mold infested uh, RVs that they're living on in. And I mean, $1.7 million buys a lot of temporary housing. I, I just, That's astounding. Well, we- 
Well, and that's just it. And so that was a lot of the discussion that I brought to the table today that, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily get well so well received is because just the sheer cost of this uh, meeting that took place probably could have bought somebody a house. Um, we could have built several tiny homes. We could have done a lot of amazing things for some real grassroots people. But here we have um, people calling themselves Métis ministers in charge of portfolios who are base, basically gallivanting across uh, Canada and abroad uh, for Métis issues, I guess. But we, in the meantime, we've got Métis people basically starving on road, roadside allowances, living in, you know, something that's probably, uh, you know, detrimental to their health. Absolutely. And I think even a couple of those places uh, were condemned and there's people still living in them. So, I mean, it's terrible. And, you know, you, you got to think, too, that this is a group of people where one of the people, or several of them, uh, recently, as, as recent as the last couple months, went to on an international trip to Chile for, a, I don't know, a week or 10 days for International Indigenous Conference. And again, you know, you talk about the cost of these things. Like, what, what exactly what benefit are we getting from that international conference as opposed to the benefit of, of providing adequate housing or providing people with, you know, some sort of, of health benefits or, or something. So what what is, you know, where are we spending our money? And what's more important? And clearly, international conferences and swanky uh, events to impress uh, Minister Bennett are, are where's the money's going. Well, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we can talk about financial transparency is one thing uh then you look at the the mass budgets that are going on i mean 1.7 million was not the entire budget that the mnc got that was only to cover certain portions and then there's the manitoba guys there's the alberta guys the bc guys and you you know that there there's millions flowing into those organizations as well and and that's part of it and then what really struck me um out of the photo was the the way this meeting was set up this special meeting is that it looks exactly like the House of Commons. So we have people sitting on two sides of the, the room with this open center table, and we have a horseshoe there where, where we have people gathered around. And this picture just totally struck me that this has to be probably the most colonial government setup I think any Indigenous organization could adopt. Yeah. Well, it, it, from the photo that when I seen it, yeah, that's what I thought too. It looked very adversarial um, and very, very colonial. Uh, it was clearly an attempt to recreate the House of Commons in a hotel meeting room and uh, probably not a cheap hotel meeting room. Um, so, yeah, it was very colonial looking. It, it's not a meeting that uh, of any type of um, traditional means, that's for certain. Well, and, and that was a lot of the conversation we had, is that if this is a government, uh, an Indigenous Métis government, what does that government look like? And, and really from what we're seeing with these people calling themselves ministers in charge of portfolios, who talk about going around and consulting with Métis communities and then reporting back to, you know, these higher level board meetings, which no grassroots level community leader gets to ever go to or have any say in. I mean, this is a total shadow government, uh, Métis style, really. And I think that's where the backlash is. What kind of government do Métis people expect? And the reality is, from judging from this picture and the conversation that went on, I guess they'd expect an absolute mere colonial government. 
Absolutely. And, you know, that's uh, one of the things that's most sad about this is that the people defending uh, these these organizations, like, I have absolutely no problem if you can defend their, their principles, their policies, if you can tell me some of the things they're doing to improve the lives of Métis living in communities. Um, but the honest to God's truth is most of them don't even understand how the organization operates. And when you go to communities that are you know, Métis Nation, and I'll use Alberta because we live in Alberta, but Métis Nation of Alberta, I guess, controlled because they're the region is the, the head honcho in the area. There's no, um, there's no local engagement. There's no local uh, transparency. There's no a local accountability. It's whatever's best for the, the co- corporation, and that's it. Uh, and you see this in Calgary, you see it in Conklin, you see it in every community I go to. I hear the same people saying the same things. There's nothing happening. There's no events. There's no nothing. Um, you know, I started a, a community association, Métis Community Association in, uh, in Calgary, and we're just, we just had our first potluck. And from the people that did show up, they said the, the two comments they made were, I can't, I'm just happy to see somebody actually doing something. And I'm happy that they're doing it at night when people are not at work. Which is really funny because earlier in the day, the Métis Nation did actually have their annual Christmas dinner. But it was from 11 till like 3 in the afternoon. So everybody that's at work can't go anyway. So it's, it's these kinds of things that, like, when you see how they operate, and, you know, I've heard over and over and over and over again from people that they don't do anything. I don't even know what they do. I don't, I don't know why I would ever go to their office. That's the level of engagement at the community level. So what do these politicians represent? Like, uh, you know, we've talked about that less than 1% vote turn, voter turnout. So who's, who do they represent? Like, it's ridiculous. Well, I think, that, I think that was a large part of the conversation that went on today on my different social media platforms was, uh, A, a lot of community accountability. If we have a minister that comes out and, you, and uh, consults with your community, what happens with that consultation? What, what's the result of that information gathered? And all we've seen is that it results in more signings of paper and more discussion. And I think the problem I have is this would be, I would have a lot more leniency and I'd be a lot less critical if this was new. If we were talking about our organization that's only a couple years old uh, and we had these kind of level of meetings to try to create a framework, that would be one thing. But when we're talking here in Alberta about an organization that's 80 years old, yeah, I mean, that, that that's a staggering number to me. 80 years old and Métis people can't figure out how to get health benefits. 80 yeah. years old and we haven't figured out how to resolve our housing issues. You know, th- this is staggering. We've had an organization that's been paid millions of dollars per year for the course of probably the last solid 20 and what have we actually resolved that's improved the lives of Métis people at the grassroots level? Uh, that's exactly it. What exactly have they done? I mean, they they really don't do much to promote culture. They don't do much to promote community um, strengthening and community development. Uh, they, they get a lot of money. They get some money for housing and stuff, but it doesn't go to the communities. It goes to the city of Edmonton. It goes to the city of Calgary, and they... I don't even know what they do with it, but it's certainly not going to the communities that need it. Um, so, so what do they do? I, I have yet to see the big, massive, huge 
boost to Métis people that these organizations provide. I see a lot of people wondering what the hell does being a Métis even mean now? I don't understand what being Métis means in today's society. Where do I go learn about the culture? Where do, where can I go to teach my kids about the culture? Nowhere. Okay, well, now I don't know what to do. That's what I see. I don't see people having a place to go. I don't see people connecting with these these groups. So what do they do? They collect a lot of money from the, the government to put on programs that benefit of, like a handful of people. Well, and that's an important conversation, and we've talked about it lots. And I think another thing that came up today that was, was I think, of a, a vital discussion is uh, what does it mean to have Métis government? You know, we have the uh, colonial government, the crown, that, that says that it has nation-to-nation -nation negotiations with the Métis people. And it talks like the Métis National Council is a form of Métis government. But the reality is that a $1.7 million a year budget where did that money come from? Well, the fact of the matter is the government of Canada is then paying the government of the Métis people for their representation. How is this nation to nation? Yes. This is not nation to nation. This is nation to corporation. Yeah. Basically, the, if, I mean, to spell it quite out, frankly, is the Métis National Council is a corporation that is getting paid to represent Métis people, and they only show up when they get paid. And I think today's picture on Facebook is a prime example of a whole bunch of people cashing in their Métis identity to collect a paycheck to represent other Métis people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and the and, people claim that they're representatives of them, but I, <laughs> I, I don't, uh, I don't see a lot of people getting to vote for, uh, you know, these these supposed leaders that are in that room. Um, well, and here's here's the real jaw dropping fact for me is if that these people who are going around doing the consulting actually represent Métis people. At what point do we hold them accountable? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, just like we've talked about, you know, already in this show, housing, education, health, youth yeah. services, senior services. Which one of these portfolios has delivered in the last 50 years significant results? Absolutely. In this claim to be government to government relations. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's, there's not there's not one. No. And, and and for for me in the discussion today, what I found highly frustrating is at what point do we call this a you know a draw? Do we do we say that this organization, after eighty years, eighty years at this, has failed in its mandate? Yeah, and we need to do something drastically different. Absolutely. Well, that was one of the things that I did notice too. Was a lot of people uh, were saying, "Oh no, we can fix it from the inside. We can fix it from the inside." But the the reality is, you can't fix it from the inside. Because the only people that can fix it were all sitting in that room today and they all get paid a lot of money. So the motivation to, air quote, fix anything doesn't exist for them because they're the ones benefiting the most. Well, here, here's, so, I had a conversation with my son. He's 18. And uh, he put it quite distinctly. He said, if you look around the room, every one of those people represents a portfolio like housing, for instance. Yes. Now, what if that minister consulted with everybody, came up with a plan, and actually solved the housing problem? Would there be a need for that minister anymore? Yeah, exactly. 
So which one of those people in that room is w- actively working to put themselves out of a job? Yeah. Well, and that, that is what you're, you know, that's what you see in these colonial governments. That's the downfall is that, you know, Minister Carolyn Bennett is doing the same thing. She's not going to work herself out of a job. Why would she? Yeah. And it, it's the same thing with these guys. They're, it's the exact same mentality of colonialism and colonial governance that rules these organizations, which is not a good and, thing. And I think that's exactly what that picture exemplifies in, in the sheer layout of the seating, in the way the meeting is held, in the way the mini ministers put their presentations forward, in the way the voting gets done with their here, here's, and I second that. You know, this is the, this is the problem. And there's no way to fix this from the from the ground up inside this organization. Being a member, getting out and voting, that's not going to fix nothing. No, it is not. And and who has the power to change it though? The it, it, the all the special resolutions have to get approved before they get to vote on them. So who does the approving? Well, they're the people that probably aren't going to make the changes. Um, you know, this is the you see the same thing at the community level. The community level. The presidents of those uh, community regions are getting paid. So they're going to do whatever they can to ensure that they get continue to get paid, that they keep their job. It's That's all this is about. Well, I, I, this was another great point that came up. I really don't think there's a good understanding of uh, the organizational structure within these cartels uh, from the local to the administrative body. So... On a local level, so in my area, if there was a local, that local would actually be under the direct control of the, the main board. So yes. in Alberta, that would be Audrey's board. So that those yep. five members would directly control my area. I live in Whitecourt. So if we had a local here, if that local was started, the M&A, they would control that, and they would control the local bank account. Yes. So if at any one time we decided that we were very unhappy with the m and and we were going to go it alone, they actually would have the legal capacity, and if it's on record in Alberta, it's been done. They've dissolved the board and closed the bank account, yep. basically leaving a local stranded. Yeah, and they have done that. And, and they have done that. It's, it's a public fact. And so I, I don't think people really understand that uh, when – Métis people, because of poverty, have to negotiate a resource deal to try to get jobs. The M&A is there. And the only people who get to do those jobs that are negotiated are, are uh, M&A-approved contractors. Yes. And so because it, they're still largely skilled employee employment jobs, it means that the, the most eligible to do those jobs, Métis people, may not even be locally. So for our friends in Conklin, if there's a resource job that's done and, and there's an opportunity to work there, the people in Conklin may not be the frontline people to get jobs. Yeah, absolutely. They may not even get entry-level jobs because there's not an opportunity through the education program for upgrading. Yeah. So this is what people don't understand about these these entities is this is colonial government politics at its worst. It's because it's perpetrated by Métis people against Métis people. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, like all those, uh, all those energy deals, all those, res- um, not resource deals, but the, the, all those deals made with industry for labor and, and, and stuff like that, those are all made between the Métis nation and the industry. Because the Métis nation walks in and says, says, we represent this community, so we have the assigning authority on this, not them. And so when it boils down to it, the community at the end of the day gets nothing. 
and the Métis Nation gets an agreement with industry. And, and we've seen that in communities like Conklin, and we've seen that in other communities. And people don't understand what that means, um, but that's a very powerful uh, point of where does the power sit. It, it sits all back in Edmonton at the head office. It does not sit at the local level. Um, those locals really have no authority over anything. Um, and and that's, that's the sad reality of it. Exactly. I think you know, a couple of things that make me chuckle is that uh, in those conversations that uh, me and this organization and you by proxy there, Darcy, because you're at work today, uh, <laughs> you know, are being accused of, of, oh, we're out, out for a power grab, that, that uh, we, we want yeah. this, this, this power, right? <laughs> and I find that highly funny because anybody who's talked to us or sat in a community meeting with us knows it's probably the furthest thing from the truth, but it, it sure, sure makes good uh, Facebook warrior media. Well, that's just it, man. I mean, I'm just waiting for those big government checks to roll in, you know, and I can, you know, well, I'm waiting for our $1.7 million travel ben- uh, package. That's That'd be nice. Oh, I, you know, where's my my chair at the big table and my presidential seal? I can't wait to get it in the mail. Yeah, and, you know, that's the truth. And and you look at um, what I what I seen on there was a lot of defending a colonial structure which is really, really sad as far as a state of affairs, which is not a Métis thing, really. I mean, there's there's First Nations that defend the colonial structure. There's, uh, you know, and so you see this in every group. There's always a segment that defends what they have because the, I think the reality is, is I think people are afraid to lose what they have because the fear is that they'll never get anything again. Um, that's that's what I've kind of what it seems like to me. I don't know if I'm true. I'm not a psychologist or anything, but it seems like people are afraid of what is beyond these organizations and what might be out there that we could do that's better. But we're getting that funding now, and we don't we don't want to give that up. We don't want to lose that. And uh, and then it re- turns into a support of a colonial structure, which never works for the grassroots people. It never works for the people who need it the most. And that's that's the sad, unfortunate thing of all of these conversations, is the people that need the, the most um, help or or need the most attention to get through an, a problem they're having don't get it. It it just doesn't exist for them. So. Well, I think that 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 is a. I mean, it's an honest conversation that I think everybody listening, and uh, something I tried to point out on on uh, social media today is we're going to have to ask ourselves a hard question: is what what motivates us? Is it the fear of loss, the fear of maybe loss of representation to the government, the fear of loss of government funding. Is that what's keeping us from, from change? Yeah. Is that that we're afraid of change? And then which is going to be the more powerful motivator? Is that, is fear going to keep us from doing the right thing? Or is integrity and transparency and accountability to our ancestors and to each other as Métis people going to motivate us to do something different, which indeed might be scary. But at some point, we have to understand that 80 years later, we're truly beating a dead horse. Absolutely. And in those 80 years, you can't tell me that somebody didn't come along and try to fix the system at one time. Come on. We know that many people have tried fixing the system from the inside. But that's like saying when you vote in the liberals, everything is going to change. No, it really doesn't. It's just a different color banner now. Um you know, that's, that is the, the thing about these colonial governments right up to the, the federal government of Canada is that 
those government systems and things like that and policies don't change. Um, I know people within the Liberal Party that are very frustrated with the Liberal Party's actions. I know Indigenous people within the Liberal Party that are very frustrated with how they're being treated. Um, and so these colonial structures don't change. We have Trudeau and the Great Hope and, oh, now the Métis are getting all this money and that there's getting increased in funding. But the truth is, is what has really changed? We've got an increase in funding and an agreement to talk about things. That's what we've got so far. Um, and it, I don't know, it's just crazy. It, there's, there's, there's no real change happening for the people living on, in, you know, in this world. The only change is happening is kind of a cursory little change, some words on, on paper, and that's about it. There's no real meat and potatoes of change happening. No, and I think that's what's sad. And, and I think what people need to wake up to is there are negotiations going on between these corporations that call themselves nations and the government, and they're highly reductive. We're talking about a complete shift in what it means to be Métis over the course of the last, <clears throat> excuse me, 10 years. And we've seen uh, the president of the uh, Manitoba Métis Federation come right out, and I posted that link up today, calling Métis is not about identity, it's about a brand. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think that's important dialogue we need to have, is to understand that if and when these deals come out, uh, especially here in Alberta, we're talking that the MNA has 33,000 members, but I guarantee you, that if there's a harvesting agreement that these guys are going to sign, there'll be a maximum of about 9,000 people under the current structure who will be actually eligible for those harvesting cards. Yeah. And if you think about that number, 114,000 and change Métis people stand up and say that they're proud Métis people in this province, but only 9,000 may get the opportunity to exercise the right that their ancestors had. Yeah. Yeah, I know. If it's that's, uh, sad. If that's the kind of government that we have in charge, well, that I don't know what more could be a wake-up call. Like, oh, I've, I we probably said that a dozen times in a dozen shows. Yeah. But I think we're running out of road with these organizations, and they post pictures like this on Facebook, and you see the millions upon millions of dollars that go on at the at what they would call the government level. But when you go to communities, when you when you see the poverty, when you see people who have nowhere to live, and so they're living on a road allowance in the year 2017, come on, people, we got to do something different. Well, and that's just it. We have to do something different. You can't, you know, it's that you know <laughs> saying where you, you you do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Like you, you just can't do that. It's it's you know like any level of government, you have to actually change how you're doing things in order to see any change. Um, I, I wanted to kind of tie into this conversation. I noticed a couple of things. Um, one, the first one I noticed, um, was on the Métis Nation of Alberta side. They posted a thing about all this lawsuit that they've been going on for the last year since they tried to bring in that oath, uh, in 2016. And they have since, I believe, I don't know if they've won or they've, they temporarily won the court decision, but they posted this big long thing about it. And I kind of thought it was airing dirty laundry. I, I didn't think it was really that appropriate. But uh, putting that aside, uh, one of the things that struck me in there was that they have in their bylaws a uh, mandate to try to negotiate a treaty with the Crown. And I thought that was an interesting um, thing. And I, I asked my, my wife about it. I said, well, how do you negotiate a treaty with the Crown on land in Alberta that's all treaty? 
already got a treaty. So is it a treaty on top of a treaty? Is it... <laughs> so, you know, you go to these colonial structures and you talk about, well, you know, we got to do things differently. Well, <laughs> they're just recolonizing indigenous people because um, they're trying to negotiate a treaty on treaty land, but not with the First Nations. God, no, they're not going to be in the conversation. So, I, I mean, you know... <laughs> And that's and that I, th- I think is a startling point and one I, I purposely didn't bring up to, today on social media because it, it's it's inflammatory. But it, it is a, a conversation. I mean, if we're going to be really honest, uh, even for the Métis Settlement Act, it gave Métis a land base, but that land base was unilaterally decided by the Crown on what they considered uh, Crown lands that were within treaty territory, but that the government feels that uh, the people who signed treaties ceded that land to the government, and then the government is able to give that land to Métis people. And that whole thought process is still being perpetuated by the Métis nation uh, against First Nations people. And by saying that the Métis people have the right to a treaty that is not inclusive of First Nation people is, is backing the Crown's position to say that First Nations people ceded their land to the Crown. Absolutely, and, and I don't think, you know, like for me personally, I do I do think, you know, Métis should have a right to the land. Absolutely. And if we want to open up a treaty negotiation, I would, you know, I live in Calgary, and it's Blackfoot territory, so let's open up a treaty negotiation. Let's get the Treaty 7 partners to come back into the table. Let's sit down with the Alberta government, the federal government, and let's hash this shit out. Um, but you can't sign a treaty excluding the First Nations out of it. I mean, that's just a ridiculous concept to me. Um, and I do believe Métis should have land, should have access to land. They should have rights to the land, but not on, not at the loss of somebody else's rights. Um, there were people here before Métis people got here, and we have to respect that. That's not to say that you know, we don't get anything because they were here first. It's to say we have to show that respect to them, and uh, in my opinion. So I thought that was well, a really sad yeah. thing. It is a sad thing, and the fact of the matter is that Métis people would go to the federal government for the acknowledgement of lands inside treaty territory without first approaching the First Nations, who are the first peoples of the land, is highly disrespectful and further entrenches what I believe to be the absolute colonial mandate of the, the cartel, the Métis Nation and its affiliates. Yeah, and, and I, I thought that was an interesting point to bring into this because, you know, you're talking about these things on Facebook and it, it, everything is a very colonial look to it. Every The room is set up this way, the way they're talking, they're using Robert's rules, I'm sure. Um, and so it just kind of goes along with that colonial mentality. Like, well, oh, absolutely. I mean, they have a table set up at the front of the picture for the Speaker of the House almost, they call themselves ministers. They have portfolios. I mean, what about this organization isn't an exact shadow ripoff of what we call an oppressive, unaccountable colonial government? Except then we want this very same thing from AT people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and the thing is, is they don't even have like <laughs> they don't even have the uh, the selling points of, for example, the Canadian government. I mean, at least the Canadian government has a much more broad sense of, of representation. They have a much more, sadly, a more accountable sense of representation. This is literally, they pick whoever's going to be their regional person, 
and then they ensure that that person gets uh, reelected every year by the you know couple hundred votes that 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 elect them. Um, the Métis National Council was even more ridiculous. They don't even people don't even get to vote for that. It's just your provincial reps, and then it's not even split up equally amongst the provinces. So I don't even know how that works. I mean, that's not it's certainly not a fair representative system. So. Well, here's what's funny is, and this is how colonial uh, I think so many Métis people have become through the process of this dominant culture, is that in colonial government, you're allowed to start as many parties as you like, uh, and no one feels threatened by that. You're allowed to create as many voices and division in the government as you like. I mean, even in Canada, you can go so far as to create a separatist party that wants to separate from Canada and become the you know official opposition in Canada. Yes. And that's that's Okay. But the minute we talk about new organizations or doing things differently or having multiple ways to represent Métis people, holy crap, they lose their gourd. Oh, no kidding, eh? And boy, you know, did they like, ever... Oh, no, we're going to become so unstable. It's all going to go to crap. It's like, well, even the colonial guys got it figured out that you can have government that's inclusive of multiple positions. Well, that's exactly it. No, I I always kind of I I did not get involved today on on purpose because it's just frustrating. But uh, boy, I tell you, the it's sure entertaining to watch, um, and it's it sure made me laugh in a couple of spots because of the ridiculousness of of what of what some people are thinking and what some people like like it just. Uh, and I don't mean to ridicule anybody in particular. I just I think the the whole notion of this is ridiculous that you can only have one voice and one representative and they are wonderful and we should just try to make little changes within because that's it's perfect the way it is it's but just even, not the even, truth. even if you go so far to say okay we realize the system is bogus we realize it needs change and we're going to change it from within well unless i mean you and i have been at this for quite a while now and and we have earned i think and, and garnished uh, a, a listenership and uh, we are very proud to have those people be able to turn tune in and listen to our show and grateful that they do but the reality is engagement isn't easy change isn't easy and then when you're talking about a robert's rules governance body system the way it is if you got voted in even with the majority okay and you went in the in alberta which is one of the largest of the cartel organizations at 33,000 members Let's say, Darcy, you got in there, buddy, and you had a majority backing you. How long would it take you through special resolutions and voting to change the bylaws so that the money would make it to the people at the bottom? Oh, absolutely. I mean, take years and years yeah. and years. Uh, and then now that they have now, finally, that uh, 80 years later, the MNA has finally figured out that maybe a term limit could be a good thing. You only have an eight-year eight, eight year mandate now. So, buddy, if you got elected two times in a row, you got eight years to change the bylaws enough before I get back in and change them back. Well, and that's just it. And what you're going to create with that is a whole new world of problems where nobody's going to make change because I only got eight years. I'm going to ride that out, collect a paycheck, and say I did great things. Um, well, and that's the whole problem is now look at me. Then we're just going to mirror more of the instability and corruptness that goes on at the federal level where we have eight years of the ship, the canoe going this way down the river, and then we change it to eight years of what goes that way now, and we just create this completely unstable model of wishy-washy Métis politics, and then we have to do that inside of an oppressive colonial government system that's still trying to extinguish Métis rights. Like, I just can't wrap my head around people defending the homogeny of this MNC, you know, 
group. Uh, yeah, I, I'm at a loss. I don't know, but I'm, and I know we've done lots and lots of shows about this, but it just seems like it. It just never stops. It's, and it's becoming even more so now. I find it's there's more rhetoric and there's more vitriol on on Facebook and on social media about showing your loyalty to the nation and your rights come from the nation and the organization, not from you. And you know, give up your identity to the nation and those kinds of nationalistic uh, sentiments. And to me, those are very dangerous sentiments to be having. Um, and I, I don't think we can do enough shows on why nationalistic viewpoints are very dangerous. Um, and they don't lead to change. They don't lead to positive things. It just leads to an entrenched, um, you know, almost extremism of, of whatever belief it is that we're talking about. In this case, it's uh, Métis identity and Métis politics. There's well, you and I have been been around for a while, and and you know we've got together, and you know a couple of years ago to start laying the groundwork for this, but it really I I think where you really are seeing this light up is since the 2017 or 16 era census. Yes, where where the numbers I think are, are scaring the nationalists, they're scaring the the Métis brand that is happening here in the West with this homeland brand, and I think. This has really become an overrunning nationalistic agenda that has swamped social media and has swamped the the perception of the conversation. Sadly, this has I mean, you and I can go to any community we like and, and we can talk about this. If we went to Conklin or we went to Marlboro or down to Calgary and we try to have this conversation, this has no traction. Absolutely not. Zero, zero traction. People don't give any credence at all of what's happening with these government issue you know no government society the, but the thing is that what do they care about that you know i've been there they just care about health they care about access to to dental you know we have people yep. who need access desperate access to housing you know Ed- education do they care education you know the list goes on do they yeah. care that the the people on facebook these social keyboard warriors are championing the, the Métis National Council as a real form of government? Yeah. No. No. No, they don't. You no. know, most people are looking for a way to get out of it. Well, that's just it. And honestly, I find, like, with uh, the community association I, for, I started, I helped start in Calgary, uh, what I've noticed is when I tell people about it, they're, they're already on the defensive, like, oh, my God, we don't need another friggin' Métis group. But as soon as I say it's a non-political group, Oh, well, suddenly everybody relaxes. Okay, so this is... Okay, we don't have to discuss politics there. Great. Then let's do something. And I think that's a sad, sad state of affairs when Métis politics winds people up so tight that they're on the defensive at all times until you say, no, no, this isn't about politics. We're just going to have a potluck and we're just going to, you know, do some fun stuff as Métis people. And and everybody just kind of goes, oh, thank God. Um, we had some people show up and, you know, we were, I was kind of chit-chatting with them ahead of time. And I, I said, uh, they said, well, why did you guys start this group? And I said, well, I was tired of nothing ever happening in Calgary. So I got some people together and we decided to start this and we, we just want to enjoy being Métis. And the look on their face when I said that was incredible. Like, like they've never heard anybody say, I just want to enjoy being Métis. Like, and they were just shocked. I was like, man, that, that is a sad comment on the state of, of affairs of how things have gone over the last, like you said, 80, 90 years of MA rule. This is where Alberta is. 
Yeah, we have 33,000 Métis Nation of Alberta members, and they're so concerned with politics, they're so concerned with their rights, they're so concerned about nation-to-nation relationships that less, one of, less than 1% of them bother to turn out to vote. Yeah, and, and most people, like, I don't it was a weekend, last weekend for me was a weekend of hearing about Métis, um, you know, I guess, just sad Métis stories. So I have these people that are just overwhelmingly joy, filled with joy that there's not going to be any politics at this potluck or group. Uh, and then I talk to another lady I know um, who's doing a school project, or not a school project, a project for the city of Calgary. Um, and so, and talking to her, she was telling me about all these Métis friends of hers that are literally afraid to go to Métis events or are afraid to even mention that they're Métis for fear of the identity and the co- the constant political bickering and bantering that goes on. And so they're afraid of it. And so they don't ever, they only tell like their closest friends. It's, you know, it's getting to be the coming out story now of, and, and it just makes me sad. It, it, but yet we can sit on, on, on the internet and argue about, you know, how, why, why should the MNC have to be accountable for their funding? Well, that's, <laughs> these things are ridiculous because like you said, people on the ground, they don't want to talk about this stuff. Well, and that's just it. People on the ground have been so hurt by this. They've been so traumatized by this conversation that they want to check out. And so people on the Internet, I think, come from a real place of privilege and a real place of, of uh, disconnect from the local community and the local ground level. Because when they talk about, I can get a membership and you can't, you know, we don't understand the trauma and we don't understand the disconnect these people have or their own personal stories. And we don't understand that the very definition of what Métis is and what it means to be Métis has been so highly politicized in the last decade and become such a moving target that it is a totally traumatizing experience. And I, I have to really wonder at what point do people stop being Métis and just start identifying as a non-status Indian with their, uh, you know, their band. Yeah, or or at some point in time, people just go, you know what, screw it, I'm just Canadian, I'm just walking away, I'm good. Being Métis was something in the past, and uh, you know I'm moving forward because that's I think that's where a lot of people are. They're get it's getting to the point where they're just going to go, you know what, I don't even care. Like this, this is so full of of bullshit that I don't I don't even care anymore. I don't want to deal with all this. I have enough stress in my life. I don't need this stress, and and I I think we're that's a very sad state of affairs. Um, Exactly, and I think that's what you and I have uh, tried very hard to do, but, you know, at the community level, at creating a youth camp and spaces for for the reconnection of the land and stuff like that, because being Métis has to be more than just this nonstop rhetoric like I've seen today on Facebook about some kind of nationalism over who we are as a people. And I think we've really forgotten who we are as a people. I think we've really forgotten our connection to the land and our place in it. And, And these people who are coming up through the ranks who overrun these groups... I've so bought into some colonial structure that they want a seat in the new House of Commons for Métis people or something, and they've totally forgotten who we are as a people. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's it's a sad state of affairs. Uh, it was slightly entertaining today, but um, really, the, these conversations are they highlight a very real problem. And unfortunately, you know, I mean, you're not getting any real good discussions going on 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 social media. And and especially now with like people that are just trolling, just trying to start crap and just trying to offend people. There's people don't have there's no room for people to actually have open and honest conversations. 
Well, I also find, though, like, to be quite honest, the people on the Internet don't have real answers either. They're very nationalistic in their understanding. They're very, you know, they're very nationalistic centric. They're very government focused. But when it comes to the real topics that we, that you and I talk about, about real issues on community levels, you know, where's the money going? What are these budgets for? Blah, blah. You know, like we talk about, there isn't an answer. It's crickets. It's nonstop crickets and deflection. And you got to change the topic in a bloody big hurry because that's where the rubber really hits the road. Yeah, well, and what I noticed as a, as a pattern is that when you ask those questions and they have no answer, then it becomes, well, you're not even really Métis, and oh, you're not this, and then it just becomes personal attacks. And it's like, well, thanks for playing, guys. It's uh, That's been fun. Um, well, it has to become personal because then we have to be able to marginalize people. And I think this is the true trauma, this is the true sadness that I, I think needs to be talked about is that if it comes down to the fact where we don't have answers, then we need to grapple with that fact. If it goes past that and we start talking about identity, then we are the new government. We are the new colonizers, further marginalizing marginalizing our own people. Yeah, absolutely. And and it and is happening. Well, it is happening. You you just talked about it. You look in Calgary. You look in every other community. You can come to Whitecourt, and I'm I'm in even a smaller community. You talk about trying to get people reengaged in being Métis and, and trying to get involved. And the first thing is well. You know, but then there's the whole politics end of it, and you got to try to to come together that way. And it's like I don't know if I've got that kind of time. You know? No, absolutely. And and that's the thing is people don't want to deal with it anymore. They they don't want it. I don't. I've I've never come across many people that actually agree with the Métis Nation and its politics and its policies and its identity policies. In real life, I've never really come across a lot of people on the ground that believe in that if they don't work for the MNA. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I haven't met a person yet, in all honesty, I haven't met a person yet who told me flat out there were no Métis people in the East and that Métis people only were such and such. The only person I have ever met that said that was on the payroll. Exactly. And that's the God's honest truth. I have never met a person yet in all of our travels this summer across both Alberta and Saskatchewan, not one person, not one, said that to me. No, and, and now that I'm thinking about it, I honestly don't think I've come across a single person that actually says that either. Um, I think most people will admit, yeah, Red River was a, kind of a big deal. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And we're not denying that Métis existed in Red River. We're not trying to say that. But I do believe that there's... I've never come across anybody that actually argues their their talking points in real life, which again I think shows a very huge disconnect with the organization. I mean, um, you know, we talk about that low voter turnout. Well, this is why people just don't care anymore. They're like, whatever, they're going to do whatever they want, and I don't, I don't really need to be part of that. So, and I, I think that's the whole point. I mean, we're heading into the the Christmas season. You look how stressed people get, and how family. You know, it puts the strain on everybody to to make good Christmases happen for you and your families. And then you get, and there's such a disconnect, I find, between the real world and the social media nationalism about Métis politics and Métis identity. It really is startling and really shows, I think you're right, in voter turnout, that being Métis and talking Métis are two totally different things. Absolutely. Uh, wow. Well, that's another, uh, that's another conversation, man. It's another, another good episode. I hope people like our, our ranting and raving again. Um, well, I, I do encourage people get on our Facebook page, 
Check yes. out that picture. Check out what went down at that special meeting today. Check out the people and the amount of paychecks in that room. Check out the way the floor plan's laid out. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'd love to hear your feedback, uh, and we'd love to see, you know, especially now that we're rolling into the 2018 season, we got a lot of new stuff coming out uh, and a lot of hopefully exciting initiatives that we can try to get people engaged at the community level because we want to make a difference in every community. Yeah, and, and that's for, for us and our organization and, and everything we do. That is where the focus is. Um, I have no interest in being, you know, flying to Ottawa and first class and doing all that crap. Um, I don't want to go to any Ottawa to any class. No, <laughs> I, I would happily uh, have somebody else do that. Um, so th- that's the thing is we're not looking for big paychecks here. We're looking to get communities engaged. We're looking to get... People excited about being Métis again, excited about the future um, of what being Métis means uh, on every level, cultural, community, health, education. Uh, let's get involved. Let's, uh, you know, let's not leave it up to school boards to determine what the Métis curriculum is going to be or, you know, let's get our, our Métis people involved in that level. And But that has to happen at the community level. And so that's what we're... We're going to be focusing on in 2018, and I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully we'll be able to bring some really cool announcements to the to the podcast on what's going on. I hope so. And I really hope that, that uh, you know, people take our ranting and raving seriously and understand that that uh, there's a big difference between being Métis and all the Métis politics that go on. And, uh, you know, that, that honestly, we do a lot of this ranting and raving. We do a lot of this droning on about the MNC because we want people to be informed. We want them to be able to make educated decisions. And we want them to know that there's another way that things could be done. And more importantly than all of that, we want them to get excited about being Métis. Yeah. Well, and, and too, like, we're not the guys with all the answers. So, you know, the more community involvement we get, the better... Uh, an organization, a better, you know, group we can come up with because the more input we have, the better, we're, the stronger we're going to get. So oh, we, absolutely. we've done some work and we've got it to a certain point, but we'd love for communities to get involved and just absolutely take it to a whole level we can't even dream of right now. And uh, that's the power of this. That's the beauty of it. So please, you know, check us out on Facebook, uh, but start getting excited about getting involved and I think the, the great thing about, you know, our, all of our political rantings and ravings is we're not just sitting on here complaining about everything. We are actually working to, to do things. Um, we're the first, you know, people that have, that have brought you that story from Conklin. Uh, the Métis Nation has sat on that story for almost a decade now and done nothing, you know. But we're bringing that to you and we're happy to do it. Uh, we're not getting paid to go up there. We're not getting paid to do these things. And... But it's exciting for me. I'm I'm happy to be part of that, and I'm I'm glad to see. And I want to send a shout out to all our uh, you know friends in Conklin there for uh, grabbing some headlines on the CBC this past week uh, by protesting uh, a landfill that was going to be there, that's in discussion up there. So you know, there's a community that's that's standing up and starting to take action, and they're doing that on their own. We're not doing that for them, and we're not getting paid to do it. So. But that's so we community. never got we never got paid to go up there. We never got paid to go to Estevan. We never got paid to go to uh, Fish Lake. We didn't get paid to go to Conklin. You know, we are going to do these things in these places because we're trying to help enable people and communities to take back what's theirs and get excited about being Métis, defend the land, defend what's theirs, occupy what belongs to them that is rightfully theirs. You know, and I'm happy to see that that Conklin, those guys are 
are moving ahead. We're able to to get some news and protest the, the unjust placement of that waste facility that is detrimental to their local lake. You know, absolutely. And and for me, I think that's the great thing is if if I, I think for people if they saw if they went to a community like Conklin and and sat with those people and understood what they're they're working for and what they're fighting for and what they're f- trying to come together as a community for. It's actually really exciting to hear them speak because they're working for change. They've decided, screw this, screw the M&A, screw everything. We're taking control of our community again, and we're going to do it with our own hard work. And for me, that's exciting. That's the exciting thing of what can, what can happen in all of our communities in Alberta and in Canada. And, uh, you know, so... Oh, exactly. That, I mean, that's why we started this whole, whole gig. Uh, that's why we did, we've been working so long to be able to do this and create this platform is to be able to to do and partner with any community that we can, with any person that we can, to take this conversation in a completely different direction. Yeah, and it's very exciting. Uh, even for people, I think, that don't like Métis politics, I think if you went and sat with these community that in communities, it's very exciting to see... It's exciting to see their desire for change. It's exciting to see their energy and their their hard work going into that. Um, there's some people in Conklin that have put an enormous amount of work into things, and so it's it's very exciting to see that. Um, oh yeah, there, that's it. I mean that that's what juices me up. You know that's what gets me going is to be able to see Métis people stand up, unite, take back what's theirs and their own community and say, hey, this is our community. We're going to be proud to be from here, and we're going to do something that's going to make a difference. Absolutely, man. That 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 is exciting to be part of, and we want that excitement to spread in 2018, and we want to be able to do whatever we can to empower everyone in their local communities to do exactly that. Absolutely, that's uh, I, I'm that's why I'm excited for 2018. I'm excited to do some more shows uh, on the podcast. We got some great topics that I want to target and really expose and really bring to the light, and uh, I think it's going to be a great year. And I think on December 26th is our next episode uh, planned, and that will be a year-in-review episode, I've decided, and I haven't even told Jason this yet until now. So that's going to be our year-in-review. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so and look, what a year it's been. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's been crazy. So we're going to go over some of the past shows and talk about the topics, even though I think some of them overlap quite a bit. Um, but we're going to cover some of the topics and see what's changed. Has anything changed? From January 2017 to December 2017, where are we as Métis people in Alberta? Where are we as Métis people in Canada? And what's really changed? And uh, talk about some of the some of the topics on the shows. What uh, what has changed in more of the you know more specific topics that we've covered? So I hope that uh, everybody looks forward to that. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm kind of excited to go back and re-listen to a few episodes and go, oh wow, that's what we talked about. Oh, man, I'm going to have to brush up. It's, it's, it's hard to believe a whole year's already flown by, man. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to create a quiz, and we're going to quiz Jason. And for every wrong answer he gets, uh, he uh, he has to put up a teepee by himself or something. I don't know. Oh, good Lord. I'm, <laughs> getting, I'm getting old for that. <laughs> um, so that's all I got, Jason. You got any final thoughts or last words? No, I just, uh, like, again, if uh, people need to, a little bit more information to add some context to the conversation, please go to our Facebook page, uh, check out what was posted there. Love to hear your feedback. Um, as always, we have uh, we have the camp that uh, we're going to be kicking off our 2018 fundraising campaign uh, after the new year. 
and uh, as well our YouTube channel, so people could go there and check that out. Always much appreciated. Absolutely, and uh, that's all I got. So uh, for now, I guess until December 26th, the jig is up. Long live the king. Hey, my late cooking came from Kawaka to express. Real world, you woman probably popping loose there. It's poor man's if you wanna talk that language. A hundred clicks north of RG is the rest. You still gotta be a chief to wear a headdress. So take your shit off.